Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning, and smiling faces, and uh, all that, so good. Hey, um, um, I, 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 I'll never have anything to say to any of you that's better than what God has already said in His Word. So I'm going to start there uh, this morning, and we're going to jump right into God's Word and just read it. Um, and we're going to read the entire chapter of John 17 out loud. Um, but as we, as we get ready for it, I want to point out a couple of things just to kind of uh, give you a little background leading, in, leading into it. Uh, leading up to this, Jesus and his disciples, they had left the upper room, and they were on their way towards the Mount of Olives and the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, and Jesus is continuing to teach uh, his disciples and prepare these men for the fact that He's about to leave. I think they know this at this point, but he's still continuing to prepare them for the fact that he's on his way, on his way out. And so this prayer in John, 7, in John 17 uh, was uh, a teaching moment for Jesus. Um, because the way that I envisioned the way this prayer went down was, was basically you have Jesus in this room and, or in this, in this place with these men, and he's there and he's sharing with them and pointing to them, and then suddenly he breaks into prayer without any sort of warning or whatever it is, just boom, he's praying like, uh, what happened here? So all of a sudden he's, Father, the hour has come, and it's just there's this sudden jolt of jumping into prayer uh, for him. And so the disciples are there, and they're watching this prayer, they're seeing Jesus do this prayer in real time. So uh, to that end, I want to read this entire passage um, out loud, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. You can follow in whatever uh, version that you have uh, with you as well. After saying these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that He can give glory back to you. For you have given Him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one of you to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true and Jesus Christ, the one who, sent, who you sent to earth. I brought, glory, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed, I revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They are always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it, and now that I came to you, they believe, and they believe you sent me. In verse 9, my prayer is not, that, not, for the, not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I'm departing from the world, and they are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united just as we are. During this time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as Scripture foretold. Now I am coming to you. I told, told them many things while I was with them in this, in this world so they would be filled with my joy. 
I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will, be, they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given, to, given me to be with me where I am. Then they, will, then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And I will continue to, uh, but, but I do, and these disciples will know you sent me. I've revealed them, I've revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Lots of words there, and it's a long passage, and it's this amazing prayer that Jesus gives us. Uh, he actually prayed in real time. And so today we're starting this, this brand new series called Learn to Pray, and it's breaking through the barriers of, of real prayer. And so over the next five weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what the Bible says uh, about, about prayer. Because here's the deal. If you're in this room right now, there's probably a reasonable possibility that if I did a survey right now, I'm pretty sure that many of you would say that you struggle to pray. A lot of us do. I know I do. There are plenty of times where prayer is a struggle for me. And yet I also think that most of us in this room would probably agree that prayer is one of the most important and accessible ways we have to communicate directly with God. Prayer bolsters our faith. If, it, it bolsters our faith and, and causes us to trust in God. Prayer has the ability to, change, to impact our circumstances and change people. Prayer, of course, over, over the course of life is a demonstration of dependence like nothing else that we have. Our goal in this series is to kind of give you a few things, to give you a clear biblical understanding of what prayer is. We also want to pull back the curtain on some of the most common questions about prayer. We want to talk about some of the barriers uh, that some people have to prayer, and we want to give you some very practical advice and some very practical ways to engage in what prayer is, uh, according to what Scripture says. And so as we unpack this series, uh, we're starting today, but then next week, week two, uh, we will ask the question, what does it mean to pray about everything at all times? And then week three on the 18th, uh, we're gonna, it's titled Prayer, Praying with Understanding. And really the big idea there is trusting the character of God. What happens when we pray? 
Week four on the 25th, uh, the question is, what does it mean to pray with each other and for each other? And then finally, in week five, July 2nd, we're actually going to uh, talk about answered prayer and what it looks like when God answers uh, prayer. And today, we're starting with with a simple question, what does it mean to pray? What does it actually mean to pray? So I hope that, that, that giving you a picture of where we're going with this will give you a little bit of a drive in knowing what, what you're coming back for uh, each week and that you'll make the commitment to be here um, throughout the series and really learn about how to engage well with God. Uh, if I haven't introduced myself to you, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Lighthouse, and uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing joy that I have as often as I can to come up and share God's Word with you. If you're joining us online, I do want to say a special welcome to you, and I do hope that, that you'll have the opportunity to come Come and join us in person because the experience here in person is so much more amazing than watching on a screen home. So I want to make sure you're invited to the live experience on Sunday morning. It's amazing. I grew up in a home that was not perfect. Surprise, right? <laughs> Everyone in the room goes, yeah, we all know that. You know, we can see how you came out. But I'm grateful for one thing. I'm grateful for the intentionality uh, that was put on pointing me to Jesus at a very young age. Much of my young church experience was very strict. I remember rules, I remember guidelines, I remember all the things that were there. There were uncomfortable, there was this uncomfortable obsession, it seemed, in my mind at least, uh, with doing things a certain way. And what it felt like to me was very, very much this behavior modification, this behavioral control of how we followed Jesus, and that's what I was taught. I learned how to be a good religious kid at a young age, but it often felt like this, boring and bondage. <laughs> That's how I felt. I felt like it was either boring or I was in bondage because I couldn't feel like I was, I wanted to, do, I could do what I really wanted to do. I remember as a kid to that end being told that it was important for me to have a quiet time. And if you've ever spent more than 15 minutes around me, you know that quiet is not my gift. <laughs> And so I remember, I remember as a kid hearing that and going, you just don't know me. And I, I struggled with that for a long time, a long time, especially 25 years in youth ministry. Quiet is not something that comes, that comes easily to me. But what I experienced in that was a whole level of guilt heaped on me to do it a certain way. And so you know what I did? I tried. I did. I, I conformed to it, and I tried. I stepped into it. I got very good at it, and I got very used to it. And the truth is, honestly, it was very effective because it taught me the discipline of being in God's Word. It taught me the discipline of spending time with God, but it always felt like a stale approach to God, and God made God feel very far away, made God feel like something that wasn't touchable because I, couldn't be, I didn't feel like I could be myself with God. Now, if that's you and that describes you and that's something that's been your experience and, and it's something that you continue to do, God bless you. But what, what I discovered pretty quickly was that the model, the one-size-that-fits-all model for how to spend time with God was a complete miss on me. And then about 15 years ago, I met a guy, uh, and, um, and he was another pastor in the area, and he and I were talking, and he shared the, the same sentiment with me. Uh, And he said this, it sounded something like this, I wish that instead of someone telling me to have a quiet time, they told me to go have a spiritual recess. (laughs) 
And I loved that. That just stood out to me like nothing else because that's where I was as a kid going, you know what? I want to be free to be, I want to be free to express myself in a way that doesn't fit the mold of everyone has to be like this and on your knees and your eyes clenched tightly closed to actually be connecting with God. And the reality is, is that I learned in that moment just 15 years ago in my life that that was the reality of what it was. I wanted to go to recess as a kid. I didn't want to sit with my hands uh, neatly folded. I wanted to spend time with God in the Bible because I knew in my heart, even as a kid, I knew that God was alive in me. Even as a young child, I knew it. I wanted to sing loud at the top of my lungs. I wanted to speak God's word very loudly. In fact, there's a recording of me. I'm never going to share it with anybody else. It's in a drawer. There's a recording of me at the age of five years old preaching to my sisters. My grandma was kind enough to record that, and uh, I have it now in a very safe place. But I wanted to feel like when I spent time with God, whether it was in prayer or in His Word, that I didn't need to have all my stuff together before I did. I wanted to know that God, and the reality was, is that God accepted me and loved me for me, and not for me, because that's not what the Bible teaches. The God that I read about in the Bible was not sterile and untouchable. Because truth is, he's not. He's very approachable. Very loving, very reachable. But he's holy. Don't forget that. He's holy. He's worth my very best. He's worth my utmost respect. He's worth the very best of everything that I can give him. And my heart was never to pay, to, to, to turn prayer into some sort of a, a circus game or something like that. It was actually just to feel like I had the ability to be real before this holy and perfect God. But even in my mind, I wanted to know that I could come as I was. Since then, I learned to express myself in other ways, and and so what I've learned is I've learned to actually find ways to do it. So before we moved to Ohio, we lived in Colorado, and I would spend every every morning sitting on the hearth, on the little little brown fireplace hearth on a purple pillow right there. I'd sit there, and I'd take an hour, and I'd read God's Word, and I would pray. And I'd get on my bike, and I would ride, because that's something I love to do, is I would ride throughout the summer, and I'd be on my bike, and as I'm riding, I would, I would pray. And since moving to Ohio, I sit in my front room, and there's a big picture window that faces the front yard, and I've got this beautiful view of the trees out in my front yard, and I sit there in the mornings, and I pray, and I read God's Word, and I spend time with my Heavenly Father. And you know what? I love it. I love it. I need it. It's something that gives me life every single day. But I also pray out loud, too, because that quietness, despite the fact that it may have been diminished over time, it is still there. I still want to pray out loud. So I pray out loud when I'm putting my shoes on to go for a run. I pray out loud when I'm driving down the street by myself, and people look at me crazy. At least I'm not picking my nose or something. It would be even worse. But as I'm, as I'm doing the normal and the mundane things of life, even the things that I love to do, I've learned to spend time with God in prayer. Find ways to engage with God in prayer. And by the way, to keep terms really simple, let me give you a very simple definition of prayer. If you look it up in the dictionary, every definition I've found for prayer actually has the word pray in the definition. <laughs> it's hard to do that. But let me give you something real simple. Ready? Prayer is spending time with God, talking to Him. Spending time with God, talking to Him. And all that to say, I know what you're feeling when it comes to prayer being a hard thing. I've been there, and I live there sometimes still. 
And if you'll track with me for the next few minutes as I talk, I think that you will take some frustration and meaninglessness that you might feel about prayer, and you might walk out of here with hope and a real meaning of even joy of praying and spending time with our Heavenly Father. So today I want to do two things. First, I want to look at uh, the scripture verse we just read and show you a pattern of how Jesus prayed and show you a few things in there. And then I want to address some barriers to praying and hopefully give you some help in overcoming them. Before we do that, let me pray. Father, guide my words. Father, guide our hearts. Holy Spirit, uh, would, you, would you show us and teach us what your word says? Give us the ability to understand. And Lord, may, 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 I, I just pray that everyone in this room would look past the words that I say, and Lord, hear the words that you're saying to them. Lord, speak to us in this time. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. In John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples, but he's also praying for the church as a whole. It's a big prayer, and you can see it in there a number of times where he's praying for the church as, as a whole as well. And I feel like in some ways as I read this passage that I'm, that I'm eavesdropping on this private conversation with the Trinity. <laughs> And, and if you, if you, last week, we actually covered and spent that time t- uh, teaching about the theology of the Trinity, and we did that. But I feel like as I read this, I'm eavesdropping on this conversation with the Trinity. And you have this conversation of Jesus praying to the Father, and he, he's not pleading like some reluctant, like to some uh, reluctant or un, unsympathetic Father to have mercy. That's not what this prayer is. Although there's some that might read it that way. It's actually the opposite of that. Jesus Christ is the very expression of the Father's attitude towards us. And here are a few themes in Jesus' prayer as he spent time with the Father. Let me first show you this. First of all, Jesus prays about the glory of God. He prays about the glory of God. Now, to get your mind around that, in, verse, in the first five verses, it's focused on this thing called the glory of God. And we'll unpack that a little more in just a second here, but I want to show you. In verse 1, the second part, it says this, I glorify the Son so that He can glorify you back. Let me be a reflection of you, is what He's saying. I want to reflect who you are, Father. Verse 4, it says, I brought you glory, I brought glory to you on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Let me, the work that I did, Jesus is saying, point back to you, Father. And in verse 5, it says, now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Jesus uses the word glory many times. I wish I had counted them because that would have made me sound really smart right now. But he used the word glory many times in this passage here. And so, uh, describing the process of how the Son points to the Father and the Father points to the Son. To glorify something is to call attention to its beauty and its over-the-top worth and value. It's a mixture of praise. It's a mixture of enjoyment. It's a mixture of adoration in on that. The word that we can use is the word awe. You ever been in awe of something? Just step back and go, awe. That's glory. Glory is something bigger than us, and it includes those three things uh, for, for each one of us. And then looking down in verse 10 of chapter 17, it says, All who were mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. You cannot truly follow God unless you're following Jesus. And you cannot truly follow Jesus unless you follow God. Jesus is more than a nice teacher and a good man. And God is more than some distant force or impersonal actor. 
God is revealed in the person of Jesus, and Jesus is God in the flesh. And as we follow Jesus, we can show who he is through how we live out our faith. We demonstrate who he is by how we live out our faith, how it's demonstrated to us. And so we have Jesus here praying for your faith and then tells you to put it into practice all that he taught because by doing so, you can truly enjoy God and make him known to those around you. Our lives can be something much bigger than ourselves. They can be about God. The second thing that that Jesus points to in this, he prays about enjoying God. He prays about the glory of God. Now he prays about enjoying God. For me, when I, when I, I saw that and I actually wrote it, and I went, I, I'm not sure even what that means, although I wrote it down. I went, what does it mean to actually enjoy God? To actually sit back and to enjoy him. Jesus prays in verses two and three that the point of his coming is to, is, and having authority over all flesh was to give eternal life. And it's not just a promise that you'd be able to enjoy the future, but something you can experience right now for real. And then down in verse 3, if you look in your Bibles, you'll see it there. Jesus defines eternal life, and it's this. Hear it. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. He defines eternal life. And the kind of life, this is the kind of life that can begin here and now. And it will only be a piece of what we will experience one day for eternity. So let me tell you something. It is worth it. And this knowledge is not just intellectual understanding, it's a personal relationship and the enjoyment of God. In verse 23, they the height of the prayer, kind of the apex of what he's praying. You have this verse in, the verse in, in verse 23, um, that we may be one with Christ and know that Jesus was sent by the Father and experience the kind of love the Father has for the Son. We're going to come back to that in just a second, but these verses tell us that Jesus was sent by the Father for our redemption because of his great love for us. You're invited into that kind of relationship with God, not just someday in the future, but now. And every day after that, all the way into eternity. And by the way, eternity is exactly that. We're going to come back to that in just a second, like I said. But the framework that I'm setting here is Jesus prays. He prays for the glory of God. He prays for us to enjoy God. And then thirdly, he prays that we embrace the heart of God. Prays that we embrace the heart of God. We'd be remiss if we didn't look at God's heart coming through and celebrate it together. And so as I, as I, as I talk about the heart of God, I want you to really ask God to build these things in you. Uh, like in verse 11, We see his care for the church and for other believers. It says in verse 11, Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in the world, but I am coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be unified just as we are. Jesus, his statement there is, I'm out of here. I'm coming home. Lord, would you protect them? They're going to be left here. He prays, may they be just, may they be one just like the Trinity. Doesn't say it in those many words because the word Trinity doesn't, it doesn't appear in Scripture, but he's saying it just like us, referring to the, the Godhead. May they be one just like us. God's character is undivided. 
God's character is unified. He praises for us. And then he reveals even deeper down in verse 15 where he basically says, let me be clear. I don't want you to take them out of this world, but I want you to protect them while they're in this world. From who? It says the evil one. Because that's, a, that's, that's definitely a threat. And we see his heart for the future people of God. But he always prays for the me, but he also prays for the means by which they will become the people of God. Look at verse 20. It says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. As that's not just saying, as I'm praying for the disciples, he's saying, I'm praying for the ones that they're going to reach. The ones that they're, the people that they're going to reach. And then beyond that, who are they going to preach to? If you want to read who they preach to, look at the book of Acts, and you see this amazing picture of how the church is born and begins to flourish. And Jesus here is praying for that. He's praying for that. And in essence, by proxy, he's praying for you too. He's praying for you too in this. The last part of this is the gospel, and it's the very heart of God. And it's, it's fair to say that the gospel is actually permeating this whole passage. But I want to land here on verse 23 for just a second, um, because he says, I want the world to know that you sent me and loved me as you love me. This is the gospel. He wants to know, he wants the world to know that he was sent. The word sent there is really important, actually. And it's jumped, just jumped off the page to me when I was reading it a couple weeks ago. Because another word that could have been put there is the word born. Because he was born. But he chose the word sent, and he said, sent is there, not born. This is to say that he existed before he was born. This is to say that the matter, the, uh, th- this matters in huge ways because if he was just born, then he was just another human teacher telling us how to live our lives. To be, a good, to be good and to maybe hope that somehow God will find favor in us because we were good enough. But that's not what it says. It says that he was sent. It says he was sent, which means that he was sent by the Father to come and fulfill the gospel in us. And this one simple word, sent, matters because it gives enormous meaning to the last part of that sentence. I'll read it again. It says, I was sent, and you have loved them even as you have loved me. If the Father had just loved Jesus as a human teacher and said that God loved us as he loved him, then that would mean that he would love us to the extent of what we deserve. Hear what I said there. If that was the case and he was born and strictly just another man, then he would have just loved us to the extent that we deserve. And what we deserve is death. So depending on how good of a life Jesus lived, if he, was only, if he was only human, then that would be the extent of God's love for me. So the gospel comes through to tell us that God loves us not as we deserve, and it comes through in this passage here, it doesn't love us not as we, he doesn't love us as we deserve, he loves us as Jesus deserves. Let that sink in. Let that permeate your heart. God loves you as Jesus deserved. What's the depth of the love for the Son? It's complete. It's unwavering. It's perfect. And this is to say, this is how God loves you the moment that you put your faith in Jesus. But not only that, but the Father loves you the same way He loves the Son. 
Get your mind around that. There's a, um, an old dead guy. He died in 1981, a man by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, he was a Welsh doctor who became a pastor uh, in his life. And he said this. I put it up on the screen, and you can kind of see uh, what he said. I'm going to read it slow so you can kind of get your mind around, around what it says. He said this. He says, in the Christian life, there are many difficulties, but more and more, it seems to me that, the most of our pro- that most of our problems indeed, if not all of them, arise from the simple fact that we fail to realize, understand, and appreciate what the real truth about us as Christian people. We read things in Scripture without meditating on them, so we don't realize that these are not abstract truths, but these are truths about us. If we did that, our entire life would be revolutionized. In other words, what that verse says is true about you. Do you realize that it's true about you? And I wonder how a truth like this could impact the way that you pray. The view of understanding that that, that God the Father looks at us through the eyes of Jesus and says says that he's mine, she's mine, and they're forgiven, and I love them just like I love Jesus. If we realized that this is true of you, how would it change the way that you view God? How would it change the way that you view yourself, and how would it impact the way that you pray? Do you realize who you are in Christ? Do you realize that? Do you realize what you have in Christ? One of the things that, that is taught to preachers in learning to teach is to allow the pastors to deal with you before you pass it on to somebody else. And so this week, I was, I was praying over this passage and the Spirit leading me and dealing with me in this passage and changing the way that I viewed, I viewed this. And I started to list out some of the barriers that I throw out there sometimes when it comes to praying. Or maybe better, reasons that I resist praying. Reasons that I resist prayer. And I would even go as far as to say that the reason that we resist prayer and put up barriers is actually connected to one thing, fear. And it might sound something like this. What do I have to say to God? <laughs> I mean, come on, he's the creator of the universe. He's God. What do I have to say to him? And, and quite honestly, why would he even listen to me? Why would God listen to me? What, what if he doesn't answer me? Or maybe what if he does answer me and it's not the answer that I want or like? How about this? I don't know where to start. I don't know what to pray. I don't feel like praying. And here's one. I don't want to. And I have to tell you that every one of those questions is true of me at different points in my life. There are plenty of times where it's like, yeah, I just don't want to right now. (laughs) Or I don't actually believe, and I wouldn't say this out loud, I don't actually believe that you're good enough to actually hear my prayer and do what's best for me because I know what's best for me. So I'm going to tell you what's best for me, and I'm going to give it up to you, and I'm going to say, there it is. And if you don't do that, you're not, you know, you don't truly love me. (laughs) How often have you been guilty of that? Some years back, uh, 
We, I was sitting in my living room. And as I was sitting in my living room, sitting, sitting on my couch, my kids, they were little at the time. They're now almost 18 or almost 20. How does that happen? I don't know. Uh, maybe someone has some advice for me on that one. Uh, but I'd sit on the couch there, and um, my kids would come up to me, and they'd sit on my lap, or they'd sit next to me, and they'd rest their head on my chest, and they'd just start talking. <laughs> you got moments like that? If you're a parent that has young ones in your house, embrace those moments as they are because they come and go so quickly. But I remember times when that would happen when I would fall asleep or I would tune out and I would maybe turn into a bobblehead. I was just like, yeah, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then it occurred to me, maybe I should listen. So I started to. And as they talked, they would just say anything and everything they wanted to and I would listen to them because... Well, because they're mine. Because I love them more than anything. They're my kids. And as they talked, they would share different stories, and most of it was just silliness, and sometimes it was meaningful. Sometimes it was questions about life and things like that. Um, But over time, it opened up to conversations of more and more important stuff. And it fostered this level of trust and demonstrated my availability for them to just come and lean on my chest and chatter. If you don't know where to start when it comes to praying and being, spending time with the Father... Maybe it's just like that. It might feel like idle chatter to you in its infancy. But the heart of the Father longs for his kids to share their words with him. That is the heart of our Heavenly Father. If that's my heart, imagine what the heart of it is for God to hear from you. His heart is to hear from you and to come and just share with him, speak to him, tell him everything that's there. I'm going to give you four pieces of advice, just some thoughts as I wrap up here. First of all, I want you to see yourself rightly because the way you see yourself will impact the way that you pray. If you've said yes to Jesus as as your forgiver and leader, then you are his child. If you put your faith in him and you said yes to him, you're his child. And here's how he sees you. Adopted, chosen, heir of the king, child of God. Don't believe the lies that take that away from you. Because anything that takes that away from you or gives you a different understanding of who you are is a lie from the pit of hell. And Satan is trying to draw you down with it. And you need to resist that. Second thing is be real. Just be real. Truth is that God already knows what you're saying to him. (laughs) He already knows it. So why not just say it for what it is? Why not just lay it out there and say, God, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. God, I don't even know if you're hearing me. I'm having a hard time with my faith. Strengthen my faith, whatever it is. Do something. But why try pretending that there's something else? Why not just lay it out there before God? Third, this might sound a little bit strange, but it's, it's something that works for me, is make an appointment. Make an appointment with God. 
Put it in your calendar. I do it. If you look at my calendar, I keep a, this really amazingly detailed, crazy thing, a day timer. It's a paper planner sort of thing, and it's got my list of things I need to do on my calendar. And you'll see in my calendar every single day at 6 a.m., that is my time with God, 6 to 7 a.m. I'm there. I'm in front of the window in that really comfortable chair reading and praying. Like anything else, make time for it. Put it on your schedule. You got time for breakfast at 6 a.m.? Nope, I got an appointment. Have no way out. But also don't let time idly be wasted. If you've got time while you're driving, if you've got time while you're walking, if you've got time while you're waiting in line, then choose to pray. And the fourth and final piece of advice I would give you is this. Just start. Does that sound too simple? Just start. Try praying without asking for anything. So often we come before God and we have our laundry list of saying, God, would you do this? Would you do this? And this person's sick. What if, what if you just went to God and you just started talking about, I don't know, like what your kids might do on your chest when they're talking to you, just telling you about their day. God, here's something that I'm struggling with. How about this, praying verses of the Bible? reading the Gospels, praying the Psalms. Let me show you maybe what it looks like in this passage today and praying the, the, the passage that we just looked at today. God, would you show me how to give you glory right now? God, would you help me to enjoy you right now, today? God, would you help me to see and understand your heart for, fill in the blank, for the lost? Pray for other Christians. Pray to be unified. Pray for other churches. And here's the thing is I want to help you pray. And so on that connection card that Matt uh, and, and Nikki were talking about earlier, on the back, there's actually a next step on there that says send me the prayer guide. And so if you'll check that box this week, I'll actually send you a prayer guide. Um, and a lot of it's based on things I'm talking about now. But if you put it in your hands, give it to you so you have it, have it there. I want, to, I want to send that to you. Two more ways just to start. First of all, pray when you don't feel like it. Pray even when you don't want to. And lastly, pray when you don't want to. Do it anyway. Probably some of the hardest things that we can do. Prayer's hard, I get it. But we make the choice now to lean into it and know that God is listening, because he is. He really is, and he wants to hear from you. We do this at the end of every service where I just say, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes and just ask, Jesus, what are you telling me today? Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. 